welcome to Parapods. I'm Catherine and I want to introduce my co-host Nissa and also introduce our technical assistant Yi this morning. Hi. So this segment um, is going to deal with travel and given this time of year and you know the experiences that we've had with travel all of us, um, we thought we'd um, let our uh, dear listeners um, know a little bit about the sort of books that we've been reading and the sorts of um, travel books that have been coming into our library. And of course, this is a podcast about reading and libraries and everything in between. So Nissa, the books that we're going to look at today mm-hmm. are several. Um, yeah. First, uh, w- would you like to mention books that we're going to look at yeah, okay. so, and discuss. And discuss. <laughs> um, so I'm going to apologise for my <laughs> pronunciation of the first author's name first up. Uh, the Art of Travel by Alain Dubotton. Is that all right? That sounds good. <laughs> okay, again, apologies anyone who you know speaks French. Um, so Alain is a philosopher and uh, The Art of Travel was a book that he published several years ago and it was accompanied by a documentary. Mm-hmm. So Catherine's read the book and I've watched the documentary because I think I'm a little bit of the lazy one in this <laughs> pairing. Um, we'll follow that by the book Wild by Cheryl Strayed. So that's Wild, A Journey from Lost to Found. Uh, followed by the book Nine Lives by William Dalrymple and closing the podcast with Epic Hikes which is a lovely book uh, that has been put out by Lonely Planet. We'll also mention Marcia Langton's Welcome to Country which is an Indigenous take on travel. Mm-hmm. So that's the plan for this podcast. Yep, sounds um, good. Yeah, Catherine, so uh, Art of Travel I think you're the one who recommended that to me and you read the book several years ago is that correct well um yeah look Nissa, this book's actually a uh it's been a hsc text for some time so it's kind of been on my radar mm-hmm. and uh i haven't seen the documentary but i really like um uh alain de botton's take on travel and it is philosophical and it is mm-hmm. you know it kind of charts the the sort of joy of travel, but also the you know confronting and um, the um, the uncomfortable parts, both physically and sort of mentally, and um, and and also the way he kind of highlights um, the different regions of the world that he that he discusses um, and uses a literary or an artist, some kind of artist, and I did particularly like his segment. Um, about um, the famous French painter um, Paul Gauguin and uh, you know I think that was a a really lovely section because I particularly love those paintings and that was his most productive period and I think he painted about 200 paintings when he went to this small region of France and uh, and, you know just sort of intensely um, was creative so you know I just sort of thought that would be a good sort of starting point for our discussion. Um, What did you think? Well, um, so like I said, I watched the documentary. It's only about an hour long, uh, so very manageable, which is great. Um, What I found interesting was the way he talks about the why of travel rather than the where. And that's, I think, something that we don't really think about very often. It's always about the destination when you think of travel, when people talk about travel. But he really gets into the... Um, like into the bones of the, the, the topic and, and wants to talk about why we go on travel. Um, so like a really interesting thing he says, uh, disappointments on holidays remind us that the key ingredients of happiness are never material or aesthetic, but always stubbornly psychological. So there's that 
idea that explores that you know there are people that go to they might go on a cruise they might go on a like with a tour group they might go on a solitary uh journey um and whatever the destination often it's you know regardless of the destination i suppose um people feel the way they do feel sometimes it makes no difference where they're going uh because they're away from their normal routine and that affords them uh, I guess the chance to really be alone with themselves sometimes in their thoughts and mm. they sort of really try to figure out what's going on in their life and um, it, it's that interesting experience sort of being within yourself even though you're going outside supposedly to see you know all these different things um, all these different experiences mm. um, and, I, and I really I really liked that I mean he in the documentary he um, talked about some people that only go like a few kilometers away from home for travel like in a camper van or something mm. and they do that because they just want to get away from routine but they don't necessarily feel like they have to go to a whole new place mm. um, and it's it's different approaches to, to travel that people have that he experienced um, or what he experienced or he seen other people experience so I really like how he yeah really gets into the the idea of why people go on travels um, and why you know some people um, you know they they come back from travels feeling the way they do regardless of the destination mm. so I think that was a really interesting thing um, and because he talks about that whole idea of the psychological impacts of travel I think that takes us very nicely into our second book, which is Wild, mm -hmm. um, A Journey from Lost to Found by Cheryl Strayed. Mm -hmm. um, so this book made a lot of waves uh, several years ago. Uh, you, I believe, read the book first and then watched the movie? Yes, I did. Yeah, so how did you find that? Because I sort of went the opposite direction. What was that like? Um, well, I really loved the book, and I, I just remember finding it on the, the shelf and thinking, oh, that looks interesting. Mm -hmm. But like all journey books, um, the, the, best, the best travel books are internal and external, so inner and outer journeys. And I just thought that um, this author had really nailed it, mm -hmm. because, you know, this was um, um, quite an epic journey, fairly young woman, and it was the... Uh, uh, the Pacific Crest Trail, is yeah. that right? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, it's over a thousand Ks. And I know that Cheryl Strayed was quite unprepared in a way. She'd never done it, you know, yeah. nothing in her background really suggested that she was an outdoorsy person. And I, and I think because she rose to that challenge and, and then was able to, and I know there was a period of quite a few years, maybe about at least five years to ten, between when she actually did the walk, which I, I believe might have been about 1995, and when, when she actually wrote the book, to me, you know, it, it all sort of, she'd been able to distill really the essence of that journey in, in such a, in such a um, you know, um, significant way, because I think it spoke to so many people. I mean, it was Oprah's... Uh, um, book of the year, the, you know, the very first year that Oprah yeah. began her list, and uh, as you say, Nissa, it made a lot of waves. But and but rightly so, and and I loved the way that the protagonist was able to, um, you know, change her fate, you know, from you know that that background where she'd had sort of family tragedy, mm -hmm. and also she'd had some personal experiences that were 
you know, really very, you know, they were, they were the worst type of experiences, you know, drugs and bad relationships. And the way she was able to come back from that, and, and really I just loved the end of the book where, you know, she actually achieves her goal, but it's not even physically as much as mentally she arrives in such a good place. That's, I think that's what I loved about it. Yeah. What do you think? Well, so I watched the movie first. Um, and because I know the book came out in 2012 and the movie came out in 2014, and I suppose that's around the time that I watched it. Yeah. I don't remember a lot about the movie now. Mm. What I do Same. remember, the one thing I remember was um, her huge backpack monster. So how she's sort of struggling to get into that, that really made an impact on me, that was mm. one. The mm. second one was when she chucked her boots, um, well, when one boot fell over a mountain and the other one she chucked. I remember those two scenes from the movie. Mm. Um, but the book itself I only read oh, maybe about a few like, a few weeks ago. Um, and I, I actually read the audiobook, well, listened to the audiobook, and that's one re- experience I'd recommend to anyone who hasn't done that. Um, so I'm, I'm more of a podcast person, <laughs> performing in one, listening to one, um, or several. Um, audiobooks are things, it's an experience that I hadn't really um, gotten into. Uh, but I did so like a few months ago, I started listening to certain non fiction audiobooks, and one of our really brilliant apps that we've got in the library is Borrow Box by Belinda. Um, it's this really neat um, uh, audiobook app, uh, very user friendly. It's for audiobooks and e- ebooks as well. It's incredibly user friendly, and I listened to Wild, uh, the audiobook, on that um, app, and I really enjoyed the experience. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. I think people should really get into it. Read by whom? Um, so it was a, I don't know her name, uh, I'm sorry, but she was a voiceover artist, so it wasn't the author. Oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, she did a marvellous job and really captured the experience um, of the author uh, going through, you know, talking about all the events that led up to her going on the walk and then the walk itself, um, all the trials and tribulations that, you know, um, she had to go through. The funny thing is, I I do like bushwalking myself, and I didn't really start bushwalking until after I watched the movie. So having read the book now, it's interesting to connect with, with sort of the experiences she has. Like the one about the boots, where it was, you know, the boots were normal when she wore them, like the size fit when she was in the shop. But while she was walking, she realized that she had to go, like she was told by other hikers that she had to go a size up. And I totally get that, because that's exactly what happened with me, where I got boots, fit perfectly I'd go on walks and go oh yeah my toes are hurting at the end of the walk because oh it's because I walked on really hard terrain but it turns out that no I was supposed to go a half a size or a size up and once I did that it was just like so much better Mm. so little experiences like that um uh you know recognizing that in reading like her journey um uh, practical guides yeah you know it's 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 the thing where you read a book and you recognize something that happened to you and you just like feel more engaged with Mm -hmm. it um there was one thing about on the pct so i really love the fact that there was this great community all these different hikers on the pct uh you know not all of the people are traveling together but you would walk ahead of some people or behind some people and people would know about people walking ahead of them because they would write their names in the trail register um and write like funny comments and i remember this walk i did um from i think it was cowan to Brooklyn um, in the Karingai um, Chase National Park and someone had wrote in the trail register um, not enough leeches um, so I just I don't know that was one of the funniest things that I had come across so um, when I was bushwalking so little things like that mm. um, 
was really you know it was it was interesting to see that so some of the things I really loved about the book the hospitality um, from people um, you know people she had often no money at all and camaraderie exactly um, Mm -hmm. you know helping out she was sometimes only with a few cents in her pocket like you said not very well prepared Uh, the friendship um, the idea of the PCT free box where people would leave their stuff you Mm -hmm. know for other people sort of you know you really sympathized with her when you know her toenails were falling out and um and then obviously when she's coming to terms with what happened to her like in her life like you said some really Mm. poor choices but also some tragic things that were outside of her control including her mother's uh death so there was one part of the book i want to read a little bit so um, her dad left when she was very young and then she had a stepfather who was very good but sort of they lost contact after her mother died um, and she's sort of coming to this is towards the end of the book she's sort of coming to terms with everything you know her, her, the death of her mother the fact that her father wasn't like didn't exist in their life and her husband Paul who was a very strong um, supportive character but you know she cheated on him and treated him badly and she had an enormous amount of guilt associated with that so she's talking about her dad and she goes of all the wild things his failure to love me the way he should have had always been the wildest thing of all but on that night as I gazed out over the darkening land 50 something nights out on the PCT it occurred to me that I didn't have to be amazed by him anymore there were so many other amazing things in this world they opened up inside of me like a river like I didn't know I could take a breath and then I breathed I laughed with the joy of it and the next moment I was crying my first tears on the PCT I cried and I cried and I cried I wasn't crying because I was sad. I wasn't crying because of my mother or my father or Paul. I was crying because I was full. Those 50 some hard days on the trail and of the 9,760 days that had come before them too. I was entering, I was leaving. California streamed behind me like a long silk veil. I didn't feel like a big fat idiot anymore. And I didn't feel like a hard ass MFing Amazonian queen. I felt fierce and humble and gathered up inside. Like I was safe in this world too. Mm. So she writes, obviously, she's a good writer. Um, she's written many other things apart from this. Um, but I think her internal journey is such an important one. Um, and I think that takes us to our third book, Nine Lives by William Dalrymple. Um, William Dalrymple's book is a little bit different. Uh, so he's deliberately taken a seat back as a narrator and he's talking about the journeys of other peoples and that their subjects, they're sort of at the forefront of his particular book. I mean, I'm a massive, massive fan of his. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably could go on for a long time about him. What did you think about the book? Well, thank you, Nissa. Um, hey, look, as a matter of fact, you have introduced me to William Dalrymple. And, um, you know, subsequently I know he's written many books on um, India and the, um, the subcontinent. So, look, I was interested, quite fascinated, um, very confronted, you know, shocked in some of these stories and, and, and really deeply saddened. And, you know, I really, I mean, I love that he's put the people at the forefront and all their stories resonate so much with me. They're all so brave and, you know, these people live a very fatalistic life. And that, that really made me think of the, of the contrast to um, Wild. Mm. Because, you know, these people's lives are so constrained um, within their caste, you know, within their um, religion. And, and I thought to myself, 
these people are so brave they just do their very best they just get on with it every single day and yet there's not a lot that they're going to be able to change in their lives but their lives are meaningful in so many ways you know the story I, I told you the story of the nun actually shocked me because it just seemed like I know it came from this very deeply spiritual place, but I just couldn't believe that a young nun would like, basically want to take her own life in, in, you know, because of subsequent events that happened and losing her best friend. But um, it's definitely a book that, you know, I think is so well worth reading. But um, I know that um, the... Um, the the story about the the red fairy actually I did like because Sufism is something I I've really loved and enjoyed the poetry of Sufism and I think that's that's a, a part of Islam that is kind of more gentle and more secular and and kind of a more humanistic part of religion but not just Islam but all religions I think we at their core need to get in touch with that um, well, it also takes into account the indigenous um, religions mm. of the area in this mm. case being Hinduism and sort of you know really bringing it together almost um, straddling like the two religions in some ways yeah um, I think I think it's a real yeah. um, you know it's a it's a combination or a fusion yeah in the best possible way. And I think the book, uh, the chapter you're talking about, The Red Fairy, the one that you like, that is actually, I know the book says it's um, it's about the journeys in India, but that's actually set across the border in, in Pakistan, uh, the, uh, uh, the province of Sindh specifically. Um, and it's about a devotee of the Sufi saint, um, Shah Abdul Latif. Um, so what, what did you like about the that particular one, the red fairy. Well, I mean, I just really, I, I just, I mean, I know there's a little bit of criticism about the the more um, the harder version of Islam, the Wahhabism. Wahhabism. Wahhabism, and uh, <laughs> excuse me, and I think um, you know that's that's probably you know there's going to be lots of opinions about how that's sure. going to work in the world. But to me, I just, uh, I just love the fact, well, I love the poetry. Mm -hmm. and um, So shall we read a bit of that poetry? Yeah. But can we first start, who is the Red Fairy? Uh, will you explain that? <laughs> okay, so the Red Fairy is this lady who, um, she's called the Red Fairy because I think she wears red garments and she is sort of attached to this particular shrine and mm -hmm. she's a devotee and she, you know, sings and dances and... Basically, she's a very spiritual character. But all of which isn't really, which is frowned upon in in some in some respect. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this chapter focuses on her, and you were going to talk about some poetry, I think. Yeah. Um, well, this this is actually um, a um, Raman Baba um, says, and and he is a Sufi poet, mm -hmm. right? So. I am a lover and I deal in love. So flowers, so your surroundings become a garden. Don't sow thorns, for they will prick your feet. We are all one body. Whoever tortures another wounds himself. I think that resonates for everybody in every religion. Mm. Yeah. That's very, it, the contrast that you said with Wilde is interesting because, I mean, a lot of it, I mean, not to put down his struggle, but a lot of it is what happened to her in her individual life. And Nine Lives is about the author, William Dalrymple, who's a great travel writer. He's traveling around India and um, part of Pakistan. Um, he, I think, did interviews in like eight different languages to speak to all these different people. 
So it's a little bit about his travel, even though he takes a sort of a backseat in terms of presenting what yeah. his actual travel is like, but also the travels of the different people he's talking about. Because a lot of these, you've got wandering minstrels, you've got, um, mm. you know, obviously the Jan Nun you said, you've got um, people who are, you know, devotees of certain goddesses, you've got other people who... Um, uh, epic storytellers, so like uh, you know, hereditary ones. You've got hereditary uh, statue, like people who create idols for the gods and goddesses. Like there was one person, I think, thirty-five generations, mm. unbroken line, seven hundred years. But his son now wants to go into IT. Yeah. Um, so it's just all the stories are so spiritual and well, interesting, and it's yeah. just such a like a great take on like the journeys that people go through internally, but also you know, physical journey, journeys within India, all these people, like they're not, most of them aren't really settled in the one place. And oh, that's true. They're, yeah. they're, they're very much travellers. But um, I, I think, you know, that point you made about um, hereditary, um, you know, professions, yeah. that, you know, that to me was so interesting because, you know, for example, there were people that were born into a profession and no matter what it was, if it was terrible or if it was good, that's the life they had. Mm. You know, it, it just goes back to that sense of fatalism, mm. and that sense of not being able to break out of mm. where you are. And and it was it was amazing, wonderful to see how these people worked around it and had fulfilling lives. Yeah. You know, because you know some of their situations were really quite dire. And so, I mean, they didn't have a lot of choices. A lot of these people, they're just given whatever circumstances mm. they're given, and they make the best of it. Mm. You know, wandering around country doing what they what they're doing um and going back to choice it's interesting um if we go to our last book epic hikes of the world yep and it's all about choice um we're very lucky i suppose in so many ways uh, that we're in positions a lot of us are in positions where we get to read these beautiful books open it up on a page it says go to this place uh, gorgeous pictures and we get to just go and mm. not worry about you know, we, we have some, options. We have options. That's yeah. the thing, and that's another interesting contrast. Mm. So, Epic Hikes of the World uh, mm. by Lonely Planet. That's one of the ones you you recommended. Yeah. I think it's a new publication, isn't it? Yeah, this is um, very new, 2018. Beautifully illustrated, and it's a Lonely Planet um, guide. Do you normally like Lonely Planets when you go on holidays? Uh, I do normally take them with me just to have a little bit of a look. But I think this one is actually almost a coffee table book. It is, it's yeah. not something you would take with you. Because you know what the funny thing is, I, I'm a, <laughs> I have to confess, Lonely Planet is not the travel guide that I usually gravitate towards. Mm. I quite like DK, Dorling Kindersley ones. Mm. Um, and I like them because um, the way they it's the format mostly that I quite mm. like. You've got these lovely white spaces and you've got beautiful illustrations and like bite sized bits of information. Um, the thing is, this particular book though reminds me of that, and I think that's why I like it. It's it's beautifully done. It's not large. It's would you say A four ish, um, but it is like mm. a coffee table book, as you said, with these lovely walks all over the world. Some of which you recognise from your own experience. Yeah, because I was just mentioning to you that I'd actually been to Tuscany this year and did the uh, Cinque Terre uh -huh. walk, which. Um, actually um, raises an in another interesting point. Um, it's, it's only about a 30k walk around the coast. It's uh -huh. absolutely beautiful and it's an absolutely wonderful part of Italy. Mm. The five um, Cinque Terre meaning, you know, the five, it's basically five towns. Um, but um, the, 
the amount of tourists that were there was mm. astonishing. <laughs> and when I did the walk, that was a gigantic long line of us. And so you didn't really get, you know, that sense of, you know, the, um, the being alone, being challenged, yeah. you know, having, you know, room in your head to really think about why you were there. And um, I think, you know, it just contrasted with Cheryl Strayed's yep. Wild, where she was right out there and she had so much courage to go. And she take. didn't see a lot of people for days at a time sometimes. So That's that right. Was, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that just occurred to me. And I know you, you were going to make a point about, because you've recently been in New Zealand, yeah. about your trip and, you know, so, an interesting fact that you um, brought to my attention. Yeah, so, it, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, when you go on um, all these walks, there was this interesting article in The Guardian that talked about um, the rise of people trying to get the perfect picture for social media. So Roy's Peak apparently is this place in New Zealand, I think it's near Lake Wanaka, and there was this article and it showed this picture of, you know, people with their back towards the camera looking over like the mountains. It's, um, there's a lot of serenity, uh, it's, it's this great sense of isolation that you get from the picture, but when you sort of long pan it and get um, a picture a little bit further away, you can see this whole line of people going down the mountain, queuing up. They're not walking, they're queuing up to get a selfie at a perfect isolated spot, which is I mean, kind of sad, but also kind of funny. And the, the long line of people queuing up, that sort of reminded me of um, Nine Lives when William Dalrymple was talking about all these people, like a long line of people snaking down the mountain, going up towards a pilgrimage. So it's almost turned... Yeah, in the nun you know, story. Yeah, like yeah. The, 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 you know, the, the effort to capture the perfect selfie for social media. Because, I mean, yeah. let's be honest, when I go on travels, mm. I come back and one of the first few things I do is sort of curate like a bunch of pictures for mm. social media. Because, I mean, you do like to share it. I'll be honest, there's a little bit of showing off there as well. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting to contrast with people going about like real devotees going on a mm. spiritual journey, you know, mm. up the mountain, as opposed to mm. these people who want just the perfect selfie. True. When they're pretending that it's like, um, a, you know, an isolated spot. Anyway, but um, yeah, so that, 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 was just, yeah. that was just a funny article. But yeah, Epic Hikes, brilliant book. I cannot recommend it enough. Look, for people who want to go on a, um, who want to travel around. There's so many great ones there. There are international ones. You've got ones in Australia. El Camino. Yeah, the Camino, of course. I mean, I've watched so many documentaries on that one day. Um, you've got, uh, there's this great one you've got in, you know, you've got your typical Coogee to Bondi. Anyone out there who's listening in Sydney, you can do that anytime Absolutely. you want. You've got the Overland Track in Tasmania that gets a mention. Um, you've got some more exotic ones, I suppose. Mount Sinai. I think Catherine and I have both done that at different times. Yeah, the convent. Uh, yeah, going up and then some down to St. Um, St. Catherine's Monastery. Uh, so there are some great ones over there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think you also wanted to make mention of uh, Marcia Langton's book that came out, I think it was last year, about Indigenous travel places. Welcome to Country, forward by Stan Grant. Yeah, just really quickly, A Travel Guide to Indigenous Australia. This, um, this is a beautifully presented book. Oh, yes. Um, but, but really, it... Um, it does explain that um, it does explain that you know all those um, sites in Australia need to be respected. You know, there's a picture of someone on his rock being um, um, rescued by helicopter when you know. So that that kind of disrespect, thankfully, is over. But uh, Professor uh, Marcia Langton um, outlines all in all the states 
all of the uh, sacred sites and also business and tourism and that's a great thing. Indigenous people are able to run businesses and that's also great for the Indigenous community. Mm -hmm. And it's um, great for the rest of us to be more in tune with all our Indigenous places that mm -hmm. we can you know, visit there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so uh, and plus it also um, outlines, you know, protocol and, yes. you know, behaviours that, yeah. you know, should be um, observed. Yeah. So a very practical guide and quite a beautiful one. Well, thank you so much for um, contributing, um, ladies, Nissa yeah. and Yi. And Yi, um, our silent partner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> keeping the time for us. Yes, yeah, so uh, we'll sign off for now and we hope to see you next time. So find yeah. us on uh, our website. Yeah, and enjoy travelling during the holiday season. Yeah, we'll absolutely. talk to you later. Happy travels. Bye. Bye.